Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner Podcast, where birders talk birding. Well, it's 2021. A new year has turned, and I have to say that as the calendar year turned, things just didn't seem a lot different to me. From a birding standpoint, there have been some positive things that have happened during the pandemic. It seems like, by general consensus and by some metrics, a lot more people are birding, or at least interested in birding, or bird watching, or interested in feeding birds, or interested in birds in one way or another. Here are some little factoids that support that. I read that the Brooklyn Birding Club, uh, their president stated in a, in a newspaper article that their membership has grown by 30% during the pandemic, and that now their 25 to 30-year-old demographic is almost as large as a retired demographic. So they're getting more people interested in the birding club and younger people interested in the birding club. Birding has become kind of national news at times. Backyard birding has exploded in popularity. Uh, at some wild bird centers of America, year-over-year year sales have increased by 45%. And in addition, uh, the Google search term, best binoculars for bird watching, increased by 550% in May. I, I'm not much for statistics with no denominator and kind of taken out of context, but at least this sounds like a lot of people are looking about buying some bins to go birding or at least bird watching in their yard. So during this time, we've also had uh, a lot of movement towards inclusiveness. If you listen to Nate Swick in the ABA Birding Podcast, a lot of the content has to do with inclusivity and diversity. And Black Birders Week happened, was a big success, at least in my opinion, really caught the uh, attention and interest of a lot of birders. And a lot of us, a lot of people are looking for ways to be more inclusive uh, in our community to try to get uh, the interest and at least have everybody feel welcome to join the birding community. Uh, so I'm really pleased with that. I want to thank everybody who's been helpful to me on the Bird Banner Podcast. I want to thank listeners for listening. I want to thank uh, guests for being guests on the podcast, people for reaching out with suggestions for guests, and just general people that I've met have been positive and encouraging, and I feel really good about that. I want to thank all of you for that. From a birding standpoint... It's been a good start to the year for Western Washington birders. We have had some really good birds. But from a general standpoint, maybe not so much. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But first, the birds. In Western Washington, we've had some really good bird sightings so far this year. In just a few weeks, we've had the continued snowy owl that's been perching during the daytime on rooftops in the Queen Anne District of Seattle. So snowy owl in western Washington, a good bird for most years, this year included. Hooded oriole. A hooded oriole was found in Bayview, Washington, uh, down in southwest, southwest coast. And uh, for me, it was a, a new state bird, so a really good bird. And lots of birders have gotten to go see that. It's been very obliging coming to a feeder, and, and the owners have been friendly. It's been a really great bird. Uh, White-tailed kite was found on Puget Island, and white-tailed kites are not around in Washington much anymore these days. Uh, in years past, there was a small population in southwest Washington, but a big ice storm seemed to have uh, knocked some of the trees they roosted and nested in down, and they moved out and haven't been very easy to find the last few years. So white-tailed kite is a really good bird. And white-faced ibis, relatively easy to find, not easy, but relatively possible to find almost every year in eastern Washington in migration and sometimes even breeding. 
uh, are not easy in western Washington. And there's been one uh, that's been at Ridgefield National Wildlife Refuge on the S River Loop uh, and is relatively easy to see there. So some really good birds here in western Washington. Well, maybe the best of those birds was found by one of my previous guests. Will Brooks found a winter wren, either the second or maybe even the first state record of winter wren right near home here in Ording, just a, a few miles from where I live. And I got a text yesterday from Bruce Labar that 65 Washington birders, 65 birders uh, have uh, seen this winter wren in Ording. Uh, so really cool. At least 65, I think, have reported to eBird. Maybe even more have seen it. So that's really cool stuff. But I have to say, from an overall life standpoint, as 2021 uh, started out, it seemed just like more of the same from 2020. The pandemic uh, just continued to rage on. There are issues with the vaccine rollout. Uh, political unrest has been at uh, levels, uh, I mean, I don't remember anything like this since the 60s, uh, and uh, maybe not even then. Uh, so it's been really a challenging time for, just to be an American, I think. But today, watch the uh, inauguration on TV. I have to say, I just feel a little more optimistic. I don't think it's a, a random thing that uh, my girlfriend Mary and I turned to each other and, and almost at the same time said, we should put our flag out. It's just been to me, a, a tragedy that flying the American flag has been a political statement and not a, a patriotic statement in recent times. And, and I felt like uh, it was just the right time to put that back up. So we did that. So I feel like I have more hope going forward than I have before today. Seems more like a new year starting now than it has before. Uh, so I'm optimistic, but I thought it also being feeling like a new time starting, it made me look back at the podcast a little bit. And I've been pretty happy with the podcast overall. Uh, I've had really fun guests. Uh, I've talked to people that I otherwise wouldn't have had a chance to talk to. I've learned a lot. I've grown. I think I've gotten better at this. Uh, and I'm really having fun. So I wanted to take this as a chance to look back at the Bird Banner podcast, first 88 episodes, 88 episodes, and actually a few more solo little ones that I threw in, but 88 episodes mostly with guests, and uh, look back at that a little bit because it's been really fun. First of all, I want to thank all of you. I want to thank my guests for being on. I want to thank Burge for being encouraging, uh, and I want to thank you for listening. Uh, so thanks so much for supporting the Bird Banner podcast. I really enjoyed it. For, I want to kind of go back to the beginning of the podcast. I started out giving myself softballs to hit. I had two of my best friends, uh, best birding friends and best friends, on the podcast in the first two episodes with guests. Ken Brown, my longtime mentor and birding buddy, uh, was my first guest, and we just had a blast. Uh, we always have fun when we get together, and we had fun getting together to do an episode of the podcast. Bruce Labar was my next uh, guest. Bruce is a very accomplished birder and was a really fine guest. I really enjoyed having Bruce uh, on the episode. After really starting out in my comfort zone, I stayed fairly comfortable with my next two guests. My next two guests were big year birders, but big years in very different ways, not the traditional uh, big years. Uh, Dorian Anderson did his Biking for Birds big year in 2014 on a bicycle. I first met Dorian at the Rio Grande Birding Festival uh, when he was a keynote speaker, and, and I was writing the medical blog, drpullen.com. Uh, I felt like I'd been doing that for a while and had a feel about blogs. And Dorian was doing his blog on Blogspot, and I, I reached out to him, and we sat down and talked after his uh, 
is keynote speech, and I gave him what I thought was great advice, <laughs> and he was gracious enough to just accept it, and ways to capture uh, the content of his blog as his own uh, proprietary information and not uh, keep it on a public site like Blogger or Blogspot. But anyway, uh, what I came away from that was, what a cool guy. He's relaxed, he's funny, he's interesting, and it's just a nice person. Uh, and so when I started this podcast, I thought, this is a guy I gotta have on. He'd be a really good guest. And he was. We just had a lot of fun doing an episode. Uh, so check out the episode number four with Dorian Anderson. My next guest was also a big year birder, Christian Hagenlocker. Christian uh, also did a big year the same year that uh, uh, several other big year birders uh, did their big years. Christian did his differently. His focus, uh, he was on a much lower budget than the other birders, uh, and his focus was to not just see a whole pile of birds, and I think he saw 750 species or so uh, in his big year. So he had a spectacular big year. But in addition, he talked to birders. He interviewed birders. He got birders birding stories and really gathered a lot of information in his quest to be a ambassador for birding during that year. So I really had fun uh, with Christian as my guest, and he wrote the, the book Falcon Freeway that you can find in lots of places. So really enjoyed having Christian on as a guest. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through all of the rest of my 88 guests one at a time, uh, but I do want to talk about a few of the different ways some of these guests have been parts of the birding community. I've had a lot of different types of of people, people who relate to the birding community in different ways on the episode. My most recent guest, Brian Fox, was the one who got me thinking about birding stories. Brian is a storyteller. I mean, lots of people are storytellers, but Brian makes a living as a storyteller. Uh, he is a professional storyteller. He writes books of stories. He travels uh, to be a storyteller at birding festivals and other uh, nature festival sorts of things, and is a professional storyteller. Uh, also a trip leader and a book writer and, and all sorts of things, but uh, a really good birder who's a storyteller. Well, Brian said he thinks that all of us come from storytelling families. And I kind of winced when he said that a little bit, just because all of us don't come from families where stories are told uh, and have the more traditional family. But I think he's right in certain regard uh, that stories and oral history are an important part of families and of communities, including the birding community. And so uh, storytelling is really, an oral tradition is really important. And my corollary to that is I think most birders are storytellers. I really don't have that much difficulty with most of my guests getting them to tell some stories. Uh, they have birding stories to tell, not just their birding story. And getting the birding story of most of my guests is one of the things I tend to do because I think it's interesting. How did you get interested in birding? And tell me about people and events and birds that were influential in your becoming a birder. And that's a fun story to listen to for most people. And most people have a story that they, they kind of know is their birding story, at least when you ask them about it. And that way they, know, they consider themselves to have a birding story. Well, one of the funniest starts to birding uh, that I got from one of my guests, or two of my guests actually, were when I had Tammy and David McQuaid on. Tammy and David are lower 48 birders supreme, but they started out birding in a really different way. Uh, so listen to this story and see what you think about the birding story of Tammy and David McQuaid. Uh, maybe Tammy first, you can tell me how you got into birding and some, some important milestones along the way. 
Well, as a little girl, my I was raised in Ohio and my grandmother had a farm and I remember sitting actually standing on her couch and looking out her picture window in the wintertime and we would throw seeds out for the chickadees. And um, she had a little book that had, um, it was a field guide, which I still have today. And I would check off all the birds that I saw um, come to the seed. And that was really, really my first birding experience. So you were a lister from the (laughs) get-go. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess so. Except I I didn't, I I did that when I was probably between the ages of five and 10 and then didn't really have any interest in birds again until just a few years ago. I mean, I've always loved nature, but as far as listing and really trying to figure out what I was seeing, that happened about seven or eight years ago. So, so, so what prompted that? Getting back to it. (laughs) Well, um, we were empty nesters. Our children were all grown and out of the Uh household. And um, we thought maybe we better find something in common again. And Mm -hmm. so we watched the movie The Big Year which I guess oh, brings cool. a lot of people to birding. And Dave Dave looked at me at the end of the movie and said, that looks like that'd be a lot of fun. And I said, yeah, it does. And he said, well, how about if we do a big weekend? And I was like, a mm-hmm. big weekend? And he said, yeah, we'll just see how many birds in the area we can see in over a long weekend. So over um, Martin Luther King holiday weekend, um, we had a couple of our friends go with us and we had one pair of binoculars between the four of us and one very (laughs) dated um, camera. And uh, we went around to as many places as we could in those over that three day weekend to see as many birds as we could see. And I think we ended up maybe in the nineties very over cool. the so yeah, or newbies—that's spectacular. Well, 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 I'm sure half the birds weren't even identified correctly. I remember that we well, we kept okay. seeing female um, red-winged blackbirds, and we we swore mm-hmm. those were song sparrows. <laughs> I'm sure you had a song sparrow somewhere along the way, so it's not an extra species. <laughs> well, it was because you don't get song sparrows in Lee County, Florida, but. Uh, no. Oh, you don't. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, we've, we've come a long way since then. Well, Tammy and Dave have come a long way indeed. Right now, they're at the top of the 2021 ABA listers on eBird. You know, 2021 is a different year. Not a lot of people are thinking this is a great year to invest in doing a big year. But Tammy and David are out there getting around and birding again. And they have a consecutive string of several years. I'm not even sure how many years in a row now. of seeing 600 or more species in the lower 48. To see 600 species in the lower 48 U.S. states, you got to get around. You can't do that staying at home. And they have made a point of traveling now. They travel for work. Uh, they have uh, work in a lot of different parts of the country, so it's not just travel just to go birding, but they've integrated birding inter- into David's work travel in such a way that they get a big list every year, and they have become serious listers. Uh, their ABA list now is over 800 species on eBird. They are getting around, uh, and for people who just came to birding a relatively short time ago, that's impressive. I also loved hearing Shawnee Finnegan's birding story. Now, I have to say, I had sort of 
heard about her birding story from other birders. Uh, the California birding community is a place where I know a fair number of people, or at least some people, and have had on some previous guests and have talked to people about uh, birders in the area. And I had heard Shanine's story from Washington birders and other people a little bit, but really didn't know it in any kind of detail. But Shanine has a great story. I met Shanine first on the the Searcher is a boat that goes out of San Diego for a five-day birding trip each year around uh, Labor Day weekend. Usually it leaves the Monday of Labor Day weekend and comes back the Friday after and spends uh, four nights and five days at sea. And you get way out, you get some pelagic, pelagic birds 100 or 150 miles offshore and chances at some uh, petrels and other birds that you just can't find close to shore very well. So it's very populous. Also, you see whales and just have a great experience. They serve terrific food. I don't mean to be an advertisement for this trip, but it, it's one of the best birding trips I've ever taken. It was spectacular. But, but Shanine was a leader on that trip, one of the spotters, and uh, the only female spotter, and uh, just a fabulous birder. I was so impressed. She's gracious and loves teaching and is all over the birds and was just terrific uh, as a leader on the trip. And I said, that is a person I, I would like to get to know. So when I started the podcast and, and knew I had a chance to get to talk to her, I jumped all over that. So uh, Shanine's birding story, I had heard sort of uh, part of the birding lore was that Shanine, as a young woman, uh, won this birding, some sort of birding contest at, a, at an ABA convention and jumped on the scene as a young woman. And, and I thought that'd be a fun story to hear, and it is. So here is Shanine's birding story. Shanine, you have really had quite a career as a birder. I was wondering, could you tell us how you got started in birding? How did, what's, what ignited the whole thing? In general, my mom had a bird bath when I was little and knew the basic backyard birds. But what really triggered it was when I was in my mid-20s and I was doing gardening at her house. And I decided to make a checklist. My oh, first fancy list. that. Yeah. And it was completely wrong. It was all colloquial names. It, mm -hmm. This was in Los Altos Hills, California, near Palo Alto. And I had things like Blue Jay and Brown Thrasher and, you know, all the wrong names. Yeah, sure. But then it was seeing what I believe was a yellow warbler pause on a grass stem uh, or probably stalk a male, or something. Yeah. Probably that a was male my, with the red streaks, yeah. Well, I, I didn't have binoculars at the time. Oh, I always okay. thought it was this small yellow bird and I wanted right. to know what it was. So that nice. started me. Okay. And it sounds like you just dove in head first. I mean, I saw, I read a, a little bio of you on a website you used to use, and it said within three and a half years, you would burst on the national scenes. So tell me, how did, how did you learn so fast? Well, the first year I didn't know anybody. So I just went out and looked at birds by myself. And I actually took my father with me if it was someplace I was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then I learned about an adult education series of classes taught at the local junior college led by um, Ted Chandick. Okay. And so he had like three terms and I took all three of them. Mm -hmm. And he thankfully was an ear birder. So I learned right away to Birding listen. Birding by ear was birds, right up front. Good. Right up front. And then I found my first rare bird by going up towards Point Reyes to go look for a singing red start, which I did not see because I found 
like the third county record of breeding northern perilous. Okay. And then from that, I met some people and went on a, a month-long trip with three guys I didn't even know. Oh, but cool. I was just so fired up on seeing new birds that we ended up driving from California all the way down into the Rio Grande and wow. then eventually up into Colorado. And by the time I got back, I had 125 new birds. Very cool. Very cool. You must have uh, been with some good birders. I'm guessing anyone who'd go on a trip like that had to be pretty avid. Certainly one of them was. Um, actually, two out of the three were really avid. So lots of stories, lots of crazy times. I'm sure. And we're good still, you. still good friends. Very nice. Very nice. And so you got, you took some local birding classes. You went off on a big adventure trip. And where did things go from there? Well, I met this group of young men. I didn't have any women that I knew, but we were all about the same age. And we all really were interested in looking for birds around California. Mm -hmm. So essentially, some group of us went every weekend running up and down California looking for state birds. And yeah. I was so excited. I was doing learning in my field guide. I would read it every night. I would drill myself on songs with a cassette tape that one of my mm -hmm. friends had made. And, you know, just really, really tried to learn sounds and identification. So you were really working it. That's cool. Isn't it great to develop a passion like that? We just full, you know, in with both feet, just going for it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm a fairly competitive person. And when I graduated from high school and started college, I really wanted to be a geologist. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, at that same school, I was taking the bird classes from years later. I had several teachers, professors who, you know, this is the early 70s, right. absolutely did not want women in geology. So, I mean, they flat <laughs> or, or out anything told else, me, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they just absolutely didn't want me, even though I had like the highest grades in the class. So, um, you know, life got in the way. And anyway, by the time I started looking at birds and I was so excited about it and learning so fast, I just decided I was going to be as good as the guys. Mm -hmm. So I studied Wait. really, really hard. Sounds like you made it to there in a hurry. <laughs> that Tell us the story. That yeah, I know that you uh, somehow ended up at an ABA convention and the, the birding by ear and birding by vision quizzes. How, how did... That's before I was involved in anything close to the ABA. How did how did that how did you get there and how did that all work out? Well, my old friend Jerry Langham, who lives in Sacramento, had suggested that I come to this convention. Mm -hmm. And so I drove myself to Tucson where it was. Okay. And essentially I had an old pair of crummy binoculars. And this was the first year that they had had these two contests. And okay. I was salivating over getting some new binoculars. So, mm -hmm. so how, how did the contest work? I, I, it, I have trouble envisioning that. Well, the photo quiz was essentially a bunch of different photographs on a board. Okay. And so, you know, all with numbers oh, you, and you, you had to try to... You went in and you wrote down your answers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. And handed that in. And then the sound quiz, you put on headphones and listened to... Oh, Okay various yeah. songs. Okay. I, I envisioned somehow a big 
arena with everybody guessing or something? No, it was all very uh, singular at that point. So Uh I ended up coming in second in the photo quiz and first in the sound quiz. And I ended up winning two pairs of binoculars. Very cool. What, What kind of binos were they? Do you remember? Yes, I have. I still have them. One was the seven by thirty-five Zeiss. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, old, those were the classics in those the days. Classics, very nice. The classics, the yeah. ones that I used so much that I ended up looking like a raccoon when uh-huh. using them because the, <laughs> the eye cups were wearing it. And then the other one was a pair of tr- small Trinovids that um, never really worked that well for me, but. Yeah. Still cool. Got new binos, burst on the scene. That's cool. I bet people started to take notice. Well, it's funny because I had been chasing around California with these friends of mine, but I don't think anybody ever paid attention to me. Mm -hmm. Certainly not sort of the upper echelon. Right. And so what, I mean, I was just on the ceiling. I was, my adrenaline was so high after this. I'm sure you were. You know, I had arrived somewhere where I'm sitting down at the table, and Guy McCaskey walks up to me and introduces himself. So I said, now, who is this girl? I know. And <laughs> Will know, Russell. A girl winning a competition about men. That's just, that's just wrong. Oh, my God. And Will Russell, who owns Wings Tour Company, who would uh-huh. later be my boss, right. he was the one handing out the awards, and he was like, who is this girl? So it was really, really fun. And all the women were just like, yes, a woman, yes. Yeah. So it was very, you were, very you were exciting. A small minority at the meeting, I'm <laughs> guessing, in those days. I enjoyed hearing that. Even listening to it again was fun with Shanine. Uh, well, anyone who's been on a long birding trip uh, knows that stories get told. You know, there's often a, a long drive from one hotspot to another, or you're going somewhere to get birding, or driving home after dark, and stories start to go, and you hear to get told. Uh, and so birders are natural storytellers a lot. And my good birding buddy and mentor, Ken Brown, he's on my first episode, episode two, after I did a little intro episode myself, we talk, we tell stories always when we go birding. And uh, during the episode, he got off on a little bit of, we got off on a little bit of a story about birding with two of his mentors, uh, Bob and Georgia Ramsey. Uh, So uh, here's a little example of a story uh, that uh, two birders might tell when they get together. I think we went to Alaska first, 93. Was I think that Ala- was... You're right. Alaska was yeah, before that, Alaska, wasn't it? I think Alaska, we went up yeah. there, the well, that was, that five was, or six uh, of us. It was really seven. your trip, but it was it was an interesting dynamic with Bob uh, kind yeah. of being the co-pilot and sort of leading the trip, and you sort of leading the trip. It was really fun. That was Bob and George's effort to, again, prod me along yeah. and, and lead me along, and, and you know... It, I learned how to lead field trips from them. Yeah. I'd go on the four-day trips, and I'd I'd see how it was done. And this was his, Bob and George's attempt to get me to branch out a little get bit. Get out of the state. And, yeah. you know, they they practically set the whole thing up for the, me. Yeah, you know, they were they But were they great. wanted me to... They wanted you to lead the trip. Yeah. Yeah. So. My, my, <laughs> one of my favorite favorite memories of Bob, Bob remembered every rock and tree and branch on a road he hadn't seen in 30 years. I mean, he was like an encyclopedia. We were driving back from, uh, what was the northern road in uh, out of Nome? Up to uh, Cougarock. Yeah, was that the, the yeah. one we went? The, the north road was when we went out looking for the uh, Red Lake Kitty Wake and that. We're driving back uh, on that road. I think it was on that road. I think that's out to Safety Lagoon, isn't it? 
I don't know. Uh, anyway. anyway, we're driving along this road, and, uh, and uh, we're looking for a snow bunting and, and breeding plumage. And uh, you and I see a snow bunting. And if, you know, there it is. Bob says, nope, it's not going to be here. It's going to be down a half a mile down the road. <laughs> we're like, but we just saw it. Nope, it's going to be half a mile. So we drive half a mile down the road, pull off, and we look for a snow bunting, and we can't find a snow bunting. Finally, you and I go storming back a half a mile through the brambles to find the one we saw about a half a mile back. Oh, well, there was one there. <laughs> Bob had an idea of what he's going to see, and there was no, there was not negotiable. He knew exactly where to look, and he was, he was right ninety percent of the time. But golly, well, like the Lipkin in Florida. Oh, oh that was crazy story. Yeah. <laughs> that was a crazy. You we're can probably at, tell we're, that we're, one yeah, than we're me, at but. the uh, in the Everglades, uh, and we're it's about the fifth or sixth day of a trip. We've been out to the Dry Tortugas, and Bob and Jojo, they were getting old by then. Bob was, he had a little dementia, and, and he was getting old. It was that last trip they took with us, and, and he was sleeping the in the middle of, middle of the middle seat of the van, and we're driving along, and it's getting dark, and we everyone's tired. We've been birding all day long, uh, and you and I are chatting. Uh, just it's getting to be dusk, and we said, gosh, the only thing we've missed on this trip is a limpkin, and up sits Bob out of a sound sleep, says, Oh, you want a limpkin? I'd turn off that road about a half a mile back. <laughs> we look at each other, and everyone's like, oh, God, I want to go to the hotel. And you and I just pull you right there, and we head back. Bob says, take a left here. We drive down, and we see a limpkin about a half mile down. They're taking off in the headlights of the car. <laughs> Flies right up out of it, lands on a branch. We all get out and do a dance. It was the craziest thing. Everybody forgot about going in and yeah. being late to the motel yeah. and not having any dinner. Yeah. Oh, dinner? You want dinner? <laughs> yeah. A limpkin. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like where that came from, out of his the recesses of his memory, out of his sleep. But that was Bob, though. Oh, he, he was, was encyclopedic. He was in. A, he had a memory that was like a steel door. Some he of did. the memory was, well, you was, know, it was it was older memory by that t stage. But he was something. He was still pretty he, steel trappy. Well, I hope that these and and snips from other episodes uh, give you a feel for the types of birds the stories that birders can tell, and give a feel for some of the sorts of things we've done on the podcast. I mentioned that I've had lots of different types of guests on the show, people who relate to the birding community in different ways. Uh, so I've had musicians, I've had authors, I've had avid conservationists, I've had tour leaders, I've had a unicyclist. Uh, so uh, those all have really added flavor to the podcast that I hope you've enjoyed. Well, one, I've also had a couple of musicians, but one of them is Stephanie Seymour, and she did the album There Are Birds. You can find the album on Apple Music, wherever you get your music from, uh, and I thought I'd uh, kind of come towards the end of this episode with a little song by Stephanie Seymour called Migration Is Over. It's really one of my favorites of hers. Cape May warblers dance in your dreams Wilson's Prairie, Tennessee I'll meet you there in Central Park Six o'clock sharp Make 
sure that you add your dailyest house sparrow. You're listening hard for bobbling pinkers, but all that you hear are skulking tea drinkers. We'll find that one good bird in the park. If it kills us or not, we're gonna find that one good bird in the park. It's gonna kill us. What's that constant knocking sound? It's just a cuckoo walking around, and it doesn't have feathers. When there are more birders than there are birds, it's May 29th. Oh, haven't you heard? When the black bull warblers have departed and migration's over before it even started. If you were from the United Kingdom, you would stop that. enjoyed that again. Uh, I'll wrap up this episode by inviting you or any listeners to reach out to me uh, with topics or people you'd like to hear from in upcoming episodes. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, please reach out and let me know. You can contact me on Facebook or on Twitter at at @birdbanter, or you can use the contact page on the birdbanter.com website. Now, may 2021 bring you health and safety, may bring you and our country peace, may bring great birding to all of you, and thanks for listening. So until next time, good birding, good day. (laughs) 